fire tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe, hey So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at, wake up we about to get into it, I know you can't get enough At home, at work, it don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes, you know what's up, ayy uh, Rising from the ashes My night here was very weird, on a lot of levels My night here was very weird and I was standing on the mezzanine, and now the one that I've been interacting with was standing next to me, but he was like nine feet tall. Like, I mean, very, very big. And uh, very benevolent. One of the coolest things about him is the way they move, the way they move. It's like a vibrational tone starts to rise, and then I wake, wake up in my mind. Chakra chart, chakra chart. Not vegetarian for the weirdest reason you'll ever hear. Chakra, chakra. If you took blue light and made it into a liquid, that's what they were made out of. time when it did it it was multiplied geometrically so and it went faster and then it went around all the screens when it came back around and it did that over and over and over again to the point where it was starting to go like this really 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 fast and I kind of shrugged you know I looked at it I shrugged my shoulders and I went I don't know star charts and he turns and he looks at me and he goes well it's time for us to go Wine for us, Star Charts?
Ancient America month into May, and though we had booked guests, awesome, amazing guests that is, they correlate to Ancient America and just the overall general vibe of RFTA, and you know we're we're truly honored to um, to have these guests with us and and to weave all of the understanding. you guys are going to enjoy this episode it's really great and you know we really appreciate you guys for for being a part of the tribe and would love it if you would go like subscribe and share and all of those things and share the love if you dig the vibe of what we got going on over here go over to the telegram see the community join the community so much more everybody we also have a patreon for three dollars a month you can join and get some very amazing special episodes dan and i each have our own individual shows over there where we interview different people go on different paths and we keep it really cool and spiritual as we do and i wanted to read just a, a small excerpt from a book um it's a book that I've read from before, from The Hollow Earth by David Standish. And, you know, it correlates to some other topics we've talked about, like Atlantis and today, you know, um, UFOs and such. So um, I'm going to read this excerpt. You guys enjoy, and then we'll pop right over into the interview. ago, a race known as the Titan Athlans came from a distant planet and settled on Earth. They first settled on the continent of Atlantis, and their culture spread all across the new planet. These extraterrestrial aliens communicated by thought transference, and had spaceships that could travel at the speed of light. They also understood genetics far beyond our knowledge today and constructed robot races to do their dirty work. One of these robot races are our ancestors. They also created fabulous machines that could have taken care of their every want and need. Then their top scientists discovered the sun and its harsh radioactive rays that was causing them to age. They began to construct huge cave cities underground using existing caverns when possible and then using huge machines to excavate even larger ones. Over a long period of time, these caverns, realms grew until they were covered twice as much the area as the exterior lands. However, moving underground didn't help. The whole planet was contaminated and titans were only living for a few hundred years. The decision was to abandon the planet. According to Shaver, their population was more than 50 million, and there wasn't enough spacecraft to transport all of the Titans. So many of the robots were left behind to fend for themselves, and those who became our ancestors returned to the surface, adjusting to the sun's radiation, and after many generations forgot about the caves beneath them many other robots remained in the cavern cities, although they 
they survived and reproduced, most of them degenerated into a race of psychotic dwarfs. Shaver called Darrow, short for detrimental robots. There were others in the caves who managed to stave off the mental and physical deterioration of the Darrow and did all they could to defeat them. They were the Tarot integrative robots. However, the Darrows were in control of all of the wonderful machines left behind by the departing Titans, and they used them to cause trouble for the humans on the exterior of the planet. Everything from train, plane, and car accidents to stubbing toes and misplaced house keys, according to Shaver, was the fault of the Darrows. While Palmer was chiefly in to sell magazines, poor Shaver was apparently deeply sincere about it all. He believed he was telling the truth. He had been born in 1907, Berwick, Pennsylvania, and had a history of mental illness. As a young man in the Philadelphia area, and he had worked as a meat cutter and assistant to a tree surgeon, by 1929 he was in Detroit, studying art at Wicker School of Art, and working as a nude model there to help pay tuition. For a time during Prohibition, he also supplemented his income by making little bathtub gin. Practically everybody was doing it. In 1930, he joined communist John Reed Chubb, named for the radical American journal journalist. By 1932, he was working in an automobile factory as a spot welder on the assembly line. And in 1933, he married and had a daughter. But in 1934, his brother died suddenly. And Shaver took it very badly. Six months after he was institutionalized for insanity at the Ypsilanti State Hospital in Michigan at the request of his wife. According to the physician's certificate, he claimed people are watching him, following him around, and physicians are trying to poison him. An article by Doug Skinner in the June 2005 issue of Fate magazine adds, he insisted that a demon called Max had killed his brother and was now after him as well. He must have responded to treatment since he was released to his parents and for Christmas in 1936 it was there that he learned of another tragedy Sophie his wife had been killed electrocuted when she moved a heater into the bathtub her family took custody of their daughter Shaver did not return to Ypsilanti he was certain now that devils were persecuting him over the next few years he watered, wandered aimlessly and compulsively trying to shake off the creatures that he had believed had killed his wife and brother he often reminisced about this period later, but his accounts are confused and contradictory. He confessed that he had had trouble separating reality from dreams and visions. He tried to stow away in a ship to England. He was imprisoned a few times. He was tormented by giant spiders. He returned to a mental hospital at some point. Max was always after him. It is a sad story, and Palmer exploited him to the hilt. Once his association with Palmer began in 1943, Shaver continued to add writings to the Shaver mystery until he died of a heart attack in 1975. It was, of course, a dark, paranoid sci-fi recasting of ancient ideas about evil spirits, goblins, and things that go bump in the night. In these modern times, they were transformed into rays from weird machines created by aliens from outer space, scary old wine and new bottles. The Shaver mystery elicited a such a response that seems remarkable now. In 1947, Palmer added a twist that really put it over the top. Flying saucer.
officers. On June 25th, a short news item had gone out to the AP wires. Pendleton, Oregon, June 25. Nine, nine bright saucer-like objects flying at incredible speed at 10,000 feet altitude were reported here today by Kenneth Arnold, a Boise, Idaho pilot who said he could not hazard a guess as to what they were. Arnold, a United States Forest Service employee engaged in searching for a missing plane, said he sighted the mysterious objects yesterday at 3 p.m. They were flying between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams in Washington State, he said, and appeared to weave in and out of formation. Arnold said he had locked and estimated their speed at 12 hundred miles an hour. The story got it slightly wrong. Arnold hadn't actually said the objects were saucer-shaped, but rather he said they flew erratic like a saucer if you skip it across the water, and that they were not circular. But apparently the reporter misunderstood and flying saucers were born. Alright, so that's that excerpt from the book Hollow Earth by David Standish. And while it seems maybe slightly irrelevant and maybe kind of discrediting in a way or a shape or a form. The reason I thought it was important to bring this story up, one, I have the book on hand, that's a big one, and two, these stories in history are pulled from exact serps, and these numbers come up a lot. 6 and 9 and the variables of those numbers and we know Tesla was very very interested in these numbers and said that they held secrets to unlocking the universe so when you are dissecting reality you can see correlations in stories while it may seem under the surface that these numbers come up very easily and smooth they have a significance and I want you guys just to remember that and these stories get repeated over time and time again through history, through reality, through the consciousness, and through the cosmos. I really hope you guys enjoyed that. Take it for what you will. And remember to wake up, wake up. Hello, Fire Tribe. Welcome to Rising. From the ashes, I'm Danny Unaki Dan. I'm the homie Romy. What is happening? What's good, dude? Are you ready for this, Roman? I'm strapped up, strapped in. I'm I'm sitting down, uh, and ready because I've I've heard uh Raven on another podcast before, and it was an amazing story. So I'm very very happy to have him here today. Yeah, me too. Uh, so we're here today with Raven Wolfson. Uh, he's a. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll let you. Go ahead and tell your story. Uh, but uh, okay. yeah, so give us a little bit of a bio about yourself and uh, what ha- what has happened to you in your life. Okay. Well, um, I was born a hippie child, so I grew up <laughs> with hippie parents. And uh, we, I was born in the Midwest, and we moved out to Washington State when I was about three and purchased raw land and built a whole homestead on the land. We're about so I grew up very rural. Huh? I'm a Washingtonian. We're whereabouts in Washington. Oh, Colville, Washington, north of Spokane. North of Spokane. Nice, nice. 
<laughs> yeah. What what part are you from? Uh, I was born in Port Angeles and then uh, Squam area and then lived in Bellingham. And then I, I kind of grew up in Kelso, Washington. Terrible little town. Kelso. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a greener. Really? Wow. Yeah. Second wow. generation greener, actually. Um, my mom went there, too. Um, and then I lived I lived on Capitol Hill uh, in Seattle when I was five. And anyway, um, I've been a lot of places. So uh, to give you a little background, quick background on me, you know, beyond early childhood adventures. Um, uh, I'm an artist. I'm an occupational artist my whole life. Um, I uh, worked in the film industry in L.A. for seven and a half years, uh, worked on films like Holes and Wind Talkers and The Alamo, and those kind of things. Um, and uh, burnt out on L.A., um, you know. There's there are a couple of marriages and divorces in there too. But we won't get into that. Um, but I got uh, I got out and went to Sedona and lived in Sedona for a time, and then from there moved up here to Salt Lake, and I've been here in the same apartment fifteen years. <laughs> so, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> so, um, as far as the the my interaction with my friends story. Um, Earliest in- incarnations were uh, when I was about two, and this is in Minneapolis before we moved. And basically, to truncate the story a little bit, um, I started having experiences as a small child. Basically, sleep what people call sleep paralysis, but I think that's actually a misnomer because I don't think that's what it actually is. I think that it's actually astral. I think I think you disconnect, and it's it's astral. Uh-huh. Um, and the reason people what? Go ahead. No, I'm just saying. Oh, <laughs> so uh, because what I you know, what I think is um, that because I I think this because I finally figured out how to control it, um, and that is uh, I think people call it sleep paralysis because what happens is you sort of tend to panic and you try to move your body and you can't move your body. Yeah. I think it's because in an astral state, you're not operating your physical body, but you're trying to. And so you panic because your body isn't moving because you're actually not in it. (laughs) So, and that's important because that has been a recurring factor in, in my, all my experiences is going into that state and being in that state. Where where it's the time of day it is, I can see the room, I'm there, I'm in the room, but I'm just not restrained by the old carcass, you know. <laughs> the good old carcass there. The good old carcass. <laughs> so uh, anyway, the first one that I really, I mean, I remember having those experiences before this as far as coming into that state. And it freaks, when you're one and a half years old, it freaks you out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How, do you, um, how do you think you have the memory from that long ago like i can't remember anything before like eight or <laughs> ten. Oh no i i have very i that's one in fact you one of the things you said before we can you asked before we came on is why why me i yeah. think partially it might be because i have always had this incredibly powerful recall and cognitive mm. um I wanna, can i touch on that really quick kind of and please. with the sleep paralysis stuff too um Cause I I've had experiences before and uh, it's, yeah, it's, 
it's a thing, right? And it's it, you. There's a word to an umbrella term to throw everything under sleep paralysis. And don't worry, that's what it was. But um, I think there's this kind of we were talking earlier, you know, reading between the lines, like this this veil that's there. And I think subconsciously, um, because that's where a lot of it happens, right? Not in our carcass or with our carcass on this physical place or realm, but. I think we're all able to like tap into it um, to some degree, but subconsciously we're kind of scared because it's a, it's a heavy thing. And like, you know, you, you may lift it and see something that might freak you out. And I think like our celestial body like knows that or our physical body knows it. And there's like this, this like miscommunication between our, there are different layers of ourselves or something like that. I would agree. I, I think what it is, is partially is that, you know, our body has built in fight or flight, you know, fear, fear response. The physical body does. When you move beyond that, the body doesn't know what to do. So it panics, right? Because, you know, the essence is traveling, right? So I, I would agree that I would agree with you. I think, I think that's probably accurate. Um, to, to sum up the experience when I was two, so I came into that state. And normally what happens when I come into that state is there's a moment where I sort of become aware of it. And then I sometimes have a panic rea- reaction. Um, and there's this tone. It's the only way I can describe it. It's like a vibrational tone that starts to rise. And then I wake, wake up in my body, right? Mm. So the times that I've had something else occur, um, I became aware of the fact, like very consciously aware of the fact that of the state that I was in and I controlled. I would just, I would just, you know, um, recognize it and not panic, just like relax. Right. And then I also realized something else, which is that when you're in that state, Trying to move, like trying to get up or trying to breathe or trying to do all those things, connect you back to your body, which is where that panic comes from. If you just think yourself, and that's what I started doing when I was in that state. Like I was, I didn't get up out of bed. I just was standing up. I was just standing up in the room. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's kind of. That's how it started. Well, when this, this thing happened when I was two, um, I found myself, I came in that state, but then I found myself standing in the middle of my bedroom and looking out. I had this one window. So we were on a second floor and it was those old kind of buildings where they built the buildings right next to each other. And yeah. there'd be a sidewalk between. So when you look out your window, you're just looking into the wall of the building across from you. Mm-hmm. and I remember looking out that window and there were these two beings floating outside the window that were like, um, well, the, the word I used at the time is they seemed like children. Let me qualify that. They weren't children. They just seemed innocent, friendly, non-threatening. Now, granted, that's unlike a lot of children I've known. However, that's another story. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, so anyway, but they were very innocent and very, there was like benevolence, just total benevolence. And they were sort of a pinkish orange color and they were very smooth, but they were human. They looked like humans, but they were just 
no body. They were just smooth. And they were floating, not upright, but, you know, like this outside the window. And they were inviting me to come and fly with them. And I remember standing there and going, well, that sounds like something I'd like to do. I said, but I probably should check with my mom first. And so I turned around to go get my mom, but she was standing behind me. Mm. And I turned around and went, you're standing behind. Okay. I said, well, mom, can I go fly? And I watched her go through this whole mental palaver about, you know, oh, it was safe. It's dangerous. I know. Can you trust them? Da, 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 da. And, and I, it's like her entire internal thought process. I could hear it, right? All the concerns and worries and good pros and cons and all that. And then she turned to me and she says, okay, well, I, you know, I don't know how I feel about it, but if you feel like it's okay and you feel like you trust them, then go ahead. And I went, bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I said, okay. And I, I, then I was just floating in the air between the buildings with them. We were just kind of doing this, you know, floating in there. And I was all, it was all fine at first. And then I looked down. And now you understand. I'm two years old, so I'm what three feet tall, if that. Yeah. And I'm floating, um, pulling outside the window, and I look down, and I'm outside of a second-story window, so it's a long way to the ground from my point of view. And I panic, and I started to fall, and I was falling, and it was hot, oh. and then I, and then I stopped six inches off the ground in the air, and just like, <laughs> right, <laughs> like. <laughs> And I looked up at them and they, one of the, one of them looked down at me and lifted his finger kind of scoldingly and went, can't do fear. Wow. Can't do fear. And I went, got it. No fear. Okay, cool. And I rose back up and then I rose above the rooftop when that happened. And above, it was so weird because as I rose above the rooftop, the sun came up like, and there were all these people and I didn't know who they were standing on the roof watching the sunrise it kept it always whenever i I do you ever see the movie um city of angels the the nicholas cage movie meg ryan and it's not they're all angels long time no 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 no, i know um, the movie i just don't know if i've seen it well the big thing is that the angels always watch the sunrise and they watch the sunset because it's part of that that thing uh-huh. When I saw that movie, I immediately remembered that from being a kid. But I went, wow, that's just exactly what was happening. It was, you know, like they were adoring the sun. That can go um, part of the archetypal too, man, because I, I feel uh, goalish or, uh, when I don't see the sunrise. And I'm just like, I wake up at 11 and I go to bed. At, you know, it's like, I, I think there is something angelic to watching the sunrise and sunset. That's something really peaceful to that. I, I That's cool. Thank you for bringing that to the table. I, I agree. Uh, the, and there's something about the twilight before and after. There's something about that twilight time that's magical. Yeah. What, magical. What were they wearing? Were they wearing any clothing or did they have anything on? Which ones? The when they're when you're floating outside the window with them, are they No, they were they were and they were genderless. And I mean there was no gender but they were naked, but they were it was like people made out Barbie of silly putty. Okay. But yeah, the people made out of silly putty, but with no hair. Right? It just—they were very smooth, almost shiny. 
Mm-hmm. Was, I was going to ask, is there luminescence of sorts? Like, um, like my, my, my seeing of figures of humanoid figures that weren't humans. I'm not sure ghost aliens, what the exact moment was. Uh, but it was when I was younger in a threshold in that threshold state anyways, but they were like luminescent and like shining almost. I couldn't see any features. Um, was, what did you, was there like a luminescence from their skin or skin quote unquote? The, these beings weren't luminescent, but all the rest of mine were. And I, I've kind of come to an understanding of what that was about. Um, when, and it wasn't until I did a, I did a chakra study. I've got a, sh- a chakra chart over here. That's why I'm pointing this way. But I, I'd done this chakra study and I, I realized that everything I saw related to colors in the chakra chart. Yeah, fascinating. That is fascinating. And, and the, so the main, so that was the first event. And because they were the colors that they were, that told me that it was all, especially because of what they said, that was first and second chakra. That was all about fear and emotion, right? It's all about, uh-huh. right? Root stability foundation. Yeah. And I, and it's almost like what they were doing was a primordial test on me to see where I was, right? If I could control fear, right? If I could, if I had the consciousness at that point to do that. And apparently I did. It took a while before they showed up again. There was a lot of, uh, I'll say personal upheaval <laughs> between then and the second incident. Um, were they, my were they took, male or female or androgynous or? Andro- yeah, genderless, androgynous. Just, I, I mean, like no breasts, no genitals. It was just, Okay. If just you, a grab and took, go if, flesh suit. Yeah. If you took a human skeleton and just put flesh and, and some muscle over it with no, indi- you know, the base structure was there. Anyway. Yeah. No hair. Um, hair? Do they have, uh, they're hairless. So no hair. There's a bald heads. Yep. Okay. And their eyes were like, they weren't gray. I, I will, I can tell you that they weren't gray. But everything that I ever encountered had kind of, all, uh, almond shaped eyes, like longer, you know, eyes that you would attribute to Akhenaten or to, uh, yeah, you know, those kind of eyes. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and what about the features of the eyes? Did, I'm sorry, was it with the, the eyeball? Was there a differentiation or was it all like, was it all black or, you know, one color? You know, it's funny you should say that. If I sit in my memory and look at it, I don't know if I, I don't remember looking at that specifically. So I don't have like that recorded. All I know is that it, they didn't freak me out. And I think yeah. weird eyes freak, freak us out. And it didn't yeah. freak me out. So they may have had irises. Well, I don't know if they had like white whites like we have, but their eyes seemed non-threatening, right? Yeah. They, they didn't freak me out. So. That's super um, true. Eyes are freaky, man. <laughs> like if you catch a pair, uh, uh, you catch that eagle eye, man, you're going to be like, whoa, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, and, and the other thing is like you're come across somebody that's wearing black contacts and you don't know they're wearing black contacts and they just turn and open their eyes. I mean, that messes with your head when someone's eye is all black or all white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something, there's something weird and crazy about that and frightening. Um, which is an interesting point because it almost suggests that we know on some level that there are beings that have different eyes and that those, when, that those different eyes are an indication of a threat. 
you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking Anunnaki maybe, or, you know, we, we don't know because all we have are loose depictions of them, right? Yeah. Sumerian depictions or, or some Babylon 1, Babylon 2, more Babylon 2, right, uh, depictions of, of the Anunnaki. So who knows? Maybe they, other than the weird reptilian what do you think of those little sculptures that are clearly reptilian faces? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Of the Anunnaki. Yeah. They, but they're also, they're depicted as that alien looking shape. They're also depicted as birds and they're also depicted as humans. So I think they're representations of, of who they were of being the serp, serpent people or the bird headed people. Uh, and not necessarily uh, what they actually look like, but they anthropomorphized uh, the sure. symbolism into a human to differentiate from a human and a, a god type figure. I completely agree. In fact, I think the same thing about the Egyptian different heads, you know, the different yeah. uh, an, an, animus heads. Um, my feeling is that they were using those as metaphors to talk about whatever the power, the, the, the intelligence or the, you know, knowledge that that particular entity had. And they were just comparing it to animals that had similar in their perspective characteristics to differentiate from the regular Egyptians. I think that was part of it, too. And I'm guessing probably the Sumerians did the same thing. I wouldn't be surprised if the Hindus did the same thing. Like yeah. there's some of that. Um, it wasn't that Shiva had many arms, it's that Shiva could be many places and doing yeah. things. Or, the, or the, blue skin, the blue skin, too. Right. Yeah. What about, um, like, uh, like fleets of armies? Like, you know, if like one is controlled, like, are controlling like the air aspect or, you know, they control the ground fleets and, and yeah. things like that. Sure. That's, that is interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It like correlates, bird, too. Yeah. Cause bird it's controls like, the sky, a serpent mm -hmm. is a ground dweller. Or subterranean. Yeah. Well, even if you take Enki and Enlil and you compare them to what they represent, and you know, Enlil is the god of storm and wind. Yeah. And Enki is the god of the firmament. And then you have An, right? That's I, I've clearly spent some time yeah. <laughs> with yeah. that yeah. mythology. Um uh I always thought it was interesting that An was the father, the sky father, right? Uh -huh. And Ki is the earth, but if you put them together, it's Anki. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. The firmament. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Earth just and sky. Phonetic. Yeah. Earth yeah. and sky together. Right. We just yeah. talked about with Rick Osmo just right before this. He told, uh, told us about a Mayan god, Khan, Khan, Khan or Khan. So that's kind of, kind of Anunnaki and almost too, um, reminiscent. That's. Yeah. Well, when we were talking about Thoth, the Egyptian or Thoth or Quetzalcoatl, the Mayan, uh, it's a plumed serpent, right? So it's a feather and a snake. So yeah. you get, you get the symbolism again of the on key, in key, the, the, the sky and the ground. Mm -hmm. It's the Together connection between one. the two. And yeah, I think that's the what the symbolism and it's representing is that not necessarily that they had, you know, bird heads and dog heads and whatever. But they weren't exactly. They weren't walking around with with beaks and wings is that they could fly or they, they were, there was something about the fact that they could maybe levitate. Maybe it's just that yeah. they, like, mm -hmm. for example, if you, if you went back, if you went in the distant future and looked back and you saw that we have the army, the air force, you know, the Navy, 
right? Yeah. yeah. And if yeah. you look at the insignia of those things, what's the insignia of the Air Force? It's an eagle in flight kind of thing, yep. you know, thing. What's the Army? The Army is the eagle, but with the, with the arrows and, you know, different things. What's grounded? What's the Navy? What's the Navy? It's an anchor, right? Like there's a whole anchor motif. Well, if you didn't have any idea what the, what those things were representing, you just knew that they represented this kind of activity. Yeah, they were associated yeah. with this kind of activity. You wouldn't know, right? Yeah. So they could just be people like represented by symbols that just yeah. have unique powers. As we emanate nature, the only thing we know is, is what we see, right? What we feel, what we, you know, what we've been told and what exists in front of us and what, what does exist in front of us? Nature. And so it's just like the only thing we can do is intake it, interpret and emanate from that. And so, yeah, it, a lot of this checks out and correlates. It's beautiful. Um, where were we in the story though of you flying oh, I was, uh, I, with the- I, I, kept, I kept, I kept, I kept up. I, I know where my, I put a pin. There's a little. Thank post-it. God. Cause I'm, I'm not. There's a post-it note. It's right here. <laughs> um, it's a virtual post-it note, um, that only I can see. Um, so the next thing, so that, that was pretty much the extent of that experience. And then I was back in my, back in my crib. I mean, I was still in a crib. So I was, my ninth year was very weird on a lot of levels. Um, I had one. So the first experience that year, it's, it's like when I'm going to have some of these these more intense experiences, I almost get preparation omens that I don't realize until later that, oh, crap, mm-hmm. of course that was going to happen because that happened and that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that happened when I was nine that summer, um, which, by the way, just to date myself, that would be the summer of 1978. <laughs> um, I so one experience that was very odd because I grew up in the country, right? We were very rural, you know, ten miles from the nearest town, forty acres. You know, it was a great way to grow up. I would grow up Absolutely. very much like. A pot- like a pioneer. I mean, literally, wood cook stove, carrying water from the well, organic garden, orchard, you know, all of it. Building That's a house, awesome. That's awesome. Which is why probably I ended up being a person who can design and build sets and all this stuff because those were my toys when I was a kid. Hammers and nails and whatever was lying around. I would make stuff, you know, build things. Um, I made uh, in sixth grade because I was bored on a weekend. I built a telegraph from scratch. Holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) Who does that? And then took it to school and they actually changed the curriculum of the class because I, they they weren't going to do electronics yet, but I started electronics. So they just changed it. It was funny. (laughs) Oh, that's Um, good. They used to actually teach electronics about like how to actually wire things and solder and, you know, because they, they don't do that now. They just fucking don't. They don't teach kids basic electricity mm, at all. Um, and especially not. I would a argue lot that they don't shit. teach. They don't. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what school? Fair, fair well, enough. school has become an indo- a social indoctrination program. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's it. Where we? Anyway. So, so, so what happened? Uh, because I was out in the country, you know, it was not uncommon during that period of time. Um, to have, you know, flocks of ravens flying around. And that was not uncommon. But that summer, 
it was one of the biggest flocks of ravens I've ever seen. It had to be 200, 300 ravens ravens like those are big ass motherfucking birds dude wow and there was like it was it was a huge flock of them and i remember they were you know flying around and one afternoon and actually yes it was afternoon i walked outside and i looked to the east and i saw the big flock and i watched it land right I, i could see it all spiral down and land on the on the hill you know across from our property and I was looking at the hill and then it took off. The whole flock took off. And when it took off, right in the middle of the mass of ravens was a white raven. What? Wow. There was an albino raven. And I checked with everybody that whole summer. No one else saw it. No one but me. I'm the only person that I know of that actually saw the white, the white raven in the middle of the ravens. And so it's weird. And I remember feeling weird about it at the time, like there was something odd about it because it was literally in the middle of the flock and it was almost like the flock sort of formed a donut for a second and it was there like in the middle and i i looked at that and went okay that's interesting and then because of where i because of you know where we were it's all ranchers and farmers it was all ranchers and farmers. you know we were the hippie we were the hippies in the middle of the very conservative ranchers and farmers <laughs> it was good times um, but, uh, every, every summer they did a big like community picnic. So everybody would get together and, you know, we were hippies. So there were a lot of things I didn't get, right? Like I, I couldn't have too much refined sugar and white bread. And, you know, I was sort of cordoned off from those things. You got beets and potatoes, um, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was very Irish. Um, minus the stew. Anyway, uh, <laughs> So I went up to the, I went up, you know, I was barefoot and I, I went up to the community picnic. So to get to community picnic, you had to walk up our driveway, up a hill, across an alfalfa field, up to where the picnic was. So it was probably about quarter of a mile away, half a mile away. Anyway, I got up there and it was like, I was in heaven, man, deviled eggs and everything. I was, I, I because it was all things I normally couldn't have. And they had a big grill out set up and they were cooking hamburgers. And my mom was kind of doing the vegetarian thing, but she never really enforced it on me. I could do what I wanted, but, you know, it just wasn't around. So there was a chance for me to get hamburgers. By golly, I got them. And uh, it was getting to the end of the picnic. And they were going to, they had two, each grill had to be six feet long. They had two grills that they'd been cooking hot dogs and hamburgers on. That many Farmers people. know how to cook, man. You go to a farmer cookout like this, like out in the, <laughs> out in the woods, it's like, yep, I'm got to sign me up. That's right. They, well, they were, they were on it and they got to the end though and they put a bunch on and they cooked them, but nobody ate them. So they were going to throw them out. And I said, throw them out, hook me up. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I have, so they, they, they gave me this stack of like six patties that I was just Scooby Doo. Paper towels, six patties, and I was just holding my hand. And I was walking home, and I was walking across the alfalfa field. And the only way I could describe it, it was like the world took a step back. It was almost like for a second I was dreaming, almost. But it wasn't really dreaming. I mean, it was very, very much there. But it was, it was sort of like I was separated from the world for a second. And very clearly, I heard internally. It was an internal voice, but it was not my voice, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And it, I stopped walking and it said, this is not for you. And I looked at them 
and I dropped him in the gopher hole, which I'm sure pleased the gopher no end. But uh, I dropped him in the gopher hole, and I've never touched it since. Wow, that so you think that was a, a a a sign from your friends to just basically say like, because kind of like the fear thing earlier when you when you were falling from fear, um, you know, it's a blockage to get like your most pure vibrational uh, uh, self in exactly your spirit. What it was. Oh, cool, man. That's that's enlightening, man. I, I I dabble with that so hard because. I, I was completely a hundred percent plant based for two and a half years. And it was actually one of the greatest times of my life. Then I had a tooth fall out of my mouth and I like, you know, I blamed it on like not being mineralized and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, I could have done better, I think, to mineralize myself. Uh, but it's vegetarianism and eating meat in general. Just I, I contemplate it a lot because spiritually it's so resonating to to not it really is it's right. it's to not ingest the flesh is in fact it it's it's like there's two sides of it there's there's something you could tap into and what you choose to eat can help you tap in to these different like uh vibrational points within the consciousness and in the physical realm and then you know your consciousness is like your guide or your magnet to what your spirit is like going to naturally attune to, but then you can block it with these things and it kind of like disgruntles you. And, but you know, we're so addicted to just torturing ourselves and, and for whatever reason, you know, so we just want, we, we, right. (laughs) And we know it's terrible. We know it's terrible and we know what, you know, sinful and what have you, but we, we do it. And I'm talking societally. I'm talking me. I, I just like, yo, what, what is up with that? You know, what, what, why? Well, you know, what's interesting about that. I think, um, well, for one thing, get my glasses off. I don't know how well you can see me, but uh, I'm almost 55 years old. Do I look almost 55 years old? <laughs> that's, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's part of it. You know, it's, I think part of it is that, um, and, and understand something. I don't have all of the morality things about, oh, the planet and that, 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 as far as meat's concerned. That's not it. I just don't eat meat because I was told not to eat meat. I, I I'm vegetarian for the weirdest reason you'll ever hear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the beings told me to. So, okay. Um, and, and you know what? It served me well. Like I've, I've lived as a vegetarian since age nine and I'm vibrant and healthy and running and bike. I bicycle everywhere. You know, that's like my way of getting around. Um, Bicycling is the like, funnest, super fun. In fact, I'm getting ready to do a 53-mile one-way bike trip. Trip as soon as I can have a. I need 10 hours because I got to. I've got to round trip it, so it's 106 miles in one day, right? Wow! <laughs> but it's about 10 about 10 hours. But uh, um, I'm looking forward to that. It's got to get a little bit warmer than it is now. We just had a storm roll through and just put a new coating of snow on the on the mountains <laughs> Oof. i don't know where you i don't know where you guys are but california uh, where are you guys are you in california okay yeah he's yeah. he's northern and i'm central you're central yeah. yeah i lived in north hollywood for seven and a half years so <laughs> yeah I, li- I live right between san francisco and la oh okay i'm four four hours each way four hours north i'm in san francisco four hours south i'm in la 
I think that's amazing. That's the perfect distance from both of those. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> both are very energetically dense. They are bizarre. They are bizarre. Anyway, so uh, long and short of it, those were the two. Those were the two pre-events that happened, and then, um, so my my father took his own life when I was five, when we were in Seattle, and so my mom and I were on our own on the land. And there there came a point for her when the winter was kind of a hard thing to do with just her and and me because um, you know it's a mile long driveway and there was problems with cars getting stuck and different things. So she started doing this thing where she'd move us into town for the winter just because it was easier to operate and leave the place out there. So we'd rent an apartment or a small house in town. Um, So we moved into town that year in August. And I know that this experience happened before school started. I know that. Um, so this, it probably was, was late August of 78 when this occurred. Um, and basically what happened is I came in, I was, I came into the waking dream state and started to have that basic panic, but just as it was still manageable, seven beings walked into my room through my front door or through the front door of my bedroom, seven beings walked in. And this goes back to the question you were asking before, uh, Roman, about um, whether whether they were luminescent. Now, these beings were. They were. So when they first walked into the room, the reason that I was able to stop the, the waking up process, they walked in the room and they had assumed specific forms. So let me just run you through that really quick. Imagine, first of all, you know, like if you're, you're, you guys ever watch the show, My Three Sons, any of those shows from the fifties or sixties where the, the father was very, you know, side part hair and wearing yeah. the shirt and the, and, yeah. and the slacks, you know? Um, so one was a father. One of them was a father like that, that looked like that. The other one was a mother that had, um, this kind of a hairdo, like had that early sixties. Women's hairdo, I forget what it's called. Flip. It's the called bob? Flip. Not a bob. It was more, well, a little bit longer. You know how it, it would, they would flip up at oh, the okay, end yeah, and it would yeah. kind of like this. Um, and she was wearing like, um, a skirt and a basic bra- blouse. Um, and with them, so they were in two groups and the one group with her, with the mother, there were three girls with her. And the three girls looked exactly like her, but just smaller versions. And I don't mean, I mean, proportionately diminished in size, but they were definitely staggered, right? Uh-huh. Supposed to be different ages. The father was the same way, but he had two sons, two boys. And they all looked exactly the same, just different sizes. Like real and Russian then, dolls. Weird. Real Russian dolls. And I, <laughs> but you know, but from, from, Better Homes and Gardens circa 1962. <laughs> um, and, and what happened is it actually made me laugh. It was comical to me. And that stopped me from coming out. And then, and, and I calmed down and I realized they were there and I went, I want to go over to them. And, and I just sort of 
imagine myself standing up. Now I'm nine years old, so you know you can imagine however a nine, however tall a nine-year-old, average nine-year-old is. I don't know, four feet, something like that, if that. Um, and what was weird though is from the time it took me from laying in my bed to standing up, they changed, and they changed into seven beings that were all exactly the same, kind of like in form, like the the ones that were outside the window, smooth. You know, they were all smooth. But you know how Bruce Lee was wiry? You know, if you think of Bruce Lee, his build, he was strong, but he was very, what? Yes. Yeah. He was strong, but he was, he was, um, you know, it was, it was sleek muscle. They kind of looked like that. Um, Except for the one thing I haven't told you is that they were made out. If you took blue light and made it into a liquid, that's what they were made out of. So wow. they okay. had, they had a tactility to them, but they had an inner glow. Like they were made out of liquid energy. Wow. Right. And this is true of when they first walked into the room and now the change. And the one thing that was weird about their eyes, going back to eyes, what was weird about their eyes is they had no pupils. So th- their eyes were, were glowing. Like they were, they were white blue on the edges glowing to white but no pupils and when they changed they now had elongated more elongated heads and their eyes kind of had that all that that almond shape a little more almost like very very akhenaten like but more like if you ever look at the the carvings of akhenaten not so much of akhenaten himself but of like how his children are depicted in those reliefs or how his wife is depicted in those, you know, Nefertiti is depicted in those reliefs where that's the longer head. Right. Um, and again, genderless, no, no, they were very androgynous in their appearance, but no hair. Um, and so that happened for me laying down to standing up. So I'm, I'm facing this row of, of humanoids that are this blue. And the one on the far right, who I'm pretty sure was had been the father figure, um, I approached him and standing in front of him, I was like, I, I kind of reached my hand up like this. And he went like this. He turned his the left side of his face toward me and went like this. And I reached <laughs> Wants up a kiss? and I touched. Well, no, I touched his his cheek with these three fingers and Uh ran the fingers down Uh the cheek and it left light tracers on his skin. And if you ever, um, if you've ever put a nine volt battery on your tongue, yeah. Yeah. That's what it felt like. It it had a slight, slight buzz to it and, and it left the tracers. And here's an interesting point I'll get to with the message. the, The symbol system later is that this entire event is actually recorded in that. And I didn't know it until years went by. But I suddenly went, oh, shit, that's my, sorry. <laughs> but that was my, that's the depiction of me reaching up toward his face, toward his eye, um, is in the, in the message. Um, so then he goes, it was like, that was my, that was my uh, a chance to contact him. And then he kind of took his eye and he went like this toward me. And as he went like this, the eye got really big and I went through the eye. I just went into his eye. Whoa. And when, and when I was, when I'm, I'm through his eye, 
And all of a sudden, I'm like in this star field. That's what I thought it was at the time, but it was all blue. It was blue, these blue stars. Sorry, I just, I, I had, I'm resonating. I had an experience one time on, I was on psychedelic drugs, but this, this light blue liquid that you're talking about is what I got like sucked into outside the atmosphere and like i just like the way i describe it is like i don't know we were all floating around as like blue liquid energy and like fuck dude so this is a great story please continue i just i was like oh my god (laughs) oh and by the way just as a point of note if you want to know the color of blue if you ever look at a chakra chart and look at the color of the throat chakra it's that all the blue i'm talking about is that color of blue and if you ever actually Go look at my website. Look at a lot of my paintings. That is a common blue that I use in everything. Um, I, I like. I'm very fond of that blue. So, um, in fact, watch this. Yeah, let's let's check it out. Oh, see the paintings. Yeah, uh, a little bit, a little uh, bit more. The painting there right is. there. Well, there's the chakra chart. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, sorry. And if, if you look at the throat chakra, which is right above my finger, it's that color blue. As you notice, it's the same color as that color. Uh huh. It's electric. That's it. And here's what, here's the thing. I, I've started to realize that what they do is they, I think that they transform based on what they're doing. So, for example, the reason they always appeared as blue to me is because they were communicating. This was uh, because they were interacting with me. So they were resonating with the color of communication. Holy shit. They, Beautiful. When I was, when I was <laughs> flying outside the window, it was all about fear. So what were they? They were resonating in a Red. reddish, orange, pink color, which is root chakra, right? Yeah. Um, root chakra and then the chakra above it. So um, anyway, so what, what happened then is I go, I'm in this, I'm in this star field and, and literally I'm just drifting. And there are these huge white blue orbs passing me that are, I, I thought of, I, they seem like stars to me at the time. So they're drifting past me. And in the distance, it's almost like there's a, there's a fissure in the horizon in space. And it's almost like looking at the edge of a galaxy, right? Where you can see the bulge of the galaxy in the middle, but you're looking, you're going through it. Well, as I look at that, I'm starting to go through it faster and faster and faster. And stars are going by me. And I go right to the center and I'm standing back in my so it's almost like he took me on a trip. <laughs> he goes, oh, here, I'm going inter- to you. You introduce yourself to me here. T- touch my face. OK, now I'm going to introduce myself to you. I'm going to send you out into the universe. <laughs> OK, that was his version. You know? um, so then I'm standing back in the room and I'm like, OK, well, that was far out. And I'm like, well, what's what's next? And they just turn in a single file line and they start walking out of my bedroom. And I'm like. Am I supposed to follow you? Am I not? Is what's going on? And it was like, you do whatever you're, whatever you're prompted to do, you do. And I said, I'm following. <laughs> so I, I followed him. And what's interesting is, uh, the house was that we lived in was sort of long and narrow and it was dark and I had to pass my mother's bedroom on the way out, you know, through the house. Well, they were energy and could just freaking drift through the house i had to navigate the house in the dark and not run into anything or make noise and they went out the front door and they went 
up, like through the front door. Not they didn't open it; they just went through it. I had to open it, of course. And I went outside, and uh, we lived up on a hill, and so the street kind of sloped down. And we we went. I, there was a little path from our yard up to the street. They'd gone up that little path, and when I got, I followed them. And when I got up there, they were nowhere. They weren't there. And it was just nighttime. And I was, but I looked about a little less than half a block down the street, and and over the street, the width of the street, um, which by the way, I recently went back to that street and took actual measurements so that, that I could tell people when I tell the story, I could tell people what the actual measurements were. <laughs> so the it was a disc. It was a disc floating over the street, street, but it was like dull metallic gray, almost black, right? No lights or anything. It was a disc and it had a bulge on the top and a bulge on the bottom. And the bulge on the bottom was smaller than the bulge on the top. A lot like that. This shape right here. Uh Um, And it was probably hovering about. I'm trying to take my my size at the time. So six or eight feet off the bottom of it was six or eight feet off the ground. And what's weird about it is it was absolutely motionless. Like there could have been a hurricane going on and you would have been distracted by how much it was not being affected by anything going on around it. It was it was it was just completely still and i so i approached that and then i don't remember exactly how but i was inside of it i went from outside to inside and inside it was three times bigger inside than it was outside (laughs) so it was about it was about 25 feet across over the street but it was are you guys still there yeah okay you froze for you froze for a second so i was just checking um anyway it was about 25 feet across so inside it was about 75 across and what it turned out is that the bigger bulge was the top of a dome that went down to a mezzanine and then the smaller bulge was inside the mezzanine and so literally it was like a sphere inside of a sphere cut by a mezzanine and i was standing on the mezzanine and now the one that I've been interacting with was standing next to me, but he was like nine feet tall. Like, I mean, very, very big and um, very benevolent. One of the coolest things about him is the way they moved. So they were always in motion. So, so for example, if I, if I was one of them and I was talking to you, Roman, it would be like this. It would be like, I would look at you. And as soon as my, my head stopped moving, my hand would start. As soon as that came to rest, this hand would start. It it was like every movement. So they were in perpetual motion, but it didn't, it wasn't noticeable unless you paid attention to the fact that they never actually came to rest. It was always, it was always. Is that how how nature moves? You think it seems very, uh, the flowy of the universe there. Well, if you think about electricity, electricity doesn't sit, it's always moving, right? It's always vibrant. So anyway, so uh, we're looking there and down in the bowl, that's what I call it, the bowl off the mezzanine were these three podiums down in the bottom. It was kind of terraced. And right down the bottom, there were these three podiums kind of in a circle and a triangle, you know, triangulated off of each other. And there were beings like these standing at these podiums. But the thing about the podiums, they came up, they were white. Oh, let me, I should tell you that part. 
the entire inside of this thing was white. It was like it was like if you took if you vacuum formed the interior, it was that, but no seams. It was like the whole thing was one piece that had been shaped into all of this, and it was white. Um, and I and looking down into the bowl, these little podiums that stood up had a slightly tilted back surface on them like this, and they were smooth. And there was nothing on them. There were no controls. There was nothing there. But there was there were these there was a being standing in front of each one, and they were doing that same kind of movement, except for with their hands. They were going like it was like they were operating controls. But you know, like think like Star Trek. I remember the first time I saw Next Generation. I went the way that they're you know the way all their panels work. It's it's all just touch surface touch thing that's very little manipulable you don't manipulate much that's what it was like but with no nothing there um but i could tell they were it was having an effect because things were happening like there were changes in the vibration of the thing or whatever now here's what's interesting they weren't blue they were white they were completely the luminescent white which suggests based on the chakra thing that they were, you know, the full spectrum operating as a whole, right? Uh, the whole, if you turned on the whole Kundalini, right, at one time, right? So they're, they're operating on, in full spectrum. Um, and then, so I looked at that and, and I said, okay, here I am. Here we are. What are we doing? And I realized he was talking to me, but I could all, it was all in my head. Like I, it was all telepathic. But it, because they had tiny little mouths that didn't really do anything. <laughs> it's really, it's really like, well, here's the thing. It's really like they were doing their best to imitate, uh, yeah. you know, anthropomorphic form, but they didn't need a lot. Like they didn't need to smell anything. Mm-hmm. They just were creating a nose bump to, you know, seem more familiar. Right. Yeah. Like when right, they so, appear to you as the, um, the people in the room, when you were laying right. down, it was like they were in the human form. You sit, you joined them, and then they're like in their form. Exactly. <laughs> That's so cool. So then, uh, so now to give you an, a little bit of an idea, um, and the underside of this upper dome, there were six kind of slightly hexagonal, like they were. They created a hexagon together. But there were six big screens that went around. And the thing is, you have to keep in mind, this is 1978. They looked everything like what we think of as a plasma screen. That's what it looked like. It looked like a plasma screen. And they were sort of dull gray and they were very large. Um, and there was one straight across the mezzanine from it. Like to give you an idea of size, they were probably, I don't know, 20, each screen was 25, 30 feet long. Oh, and they went in a big hexagon around me. And it was weird because he, he looks at me and he goes, look up there. And he points at the screen that's across. He goes, look up there and tell me what you see. And I looked up and just like a modern plasma screen, it went from that dull gray to black, like it turned on. <laughs> you know how they, you know how those, how modern TV screens are. And it, it turned on. And then this little sequence of dots went like this from the lower left corner to the upper right corner. And then little circles went around those and then lines connected them. 
And then it went to the screen here and did the same thing. Screen here did the same thing. I'm assuming it did behind me. I didn't look behind me, but you know. And then it came back around. And when the screen next to the one I was looking at had that uh, happen on it, my screen went blank and it did it again. And this time when it did it, it was multiplied geometrically. So, and it went faster. And then it went around all the screens and it came back around. And it did that over and over and over again to the point where it was starting to go like this, really, really, really fast. And I kind of shrugged, you know, I looked at it, I shrugged my shoulders and I went, I don't know, star charts. And he turns and he looks at me and he goes, well, it's time for us to go. I went, sweet. (laughs) I am ready to go. Let's do it. (laughs) Right. And he goes, no, it's time for us to go. You're not ready yet. Uh, and I went, I, I even have this memory of sort of arguing with him, going, really, I'm ready. Like Luke, you know, Luke in, the, in Dagobah and Yoda's head. He goes, I'm ready. Ben, tell him I'm ready. You know, it's, it's kind of that <laughs> kind of argument. Um, but uh, they said, no. But, but he goes, but we'll be back. And when he said we'll be back, what's weird is I was out on the ground. I was out outside now on the ground. And then I woke up in my bedroom, like wide awake. And I immediately got up and ran to my window because my window looked out that way. And I was like, are they still there? And I went, look, and they were gone, right? Um, and Did you ever doubt that they had ever even been there? Is that a possibility? You know, I'm a very pragmatic person in my thinking. And of course, I ran through, I said, you know, it could have been a dream, right? I mean, I have that whole thing, except that it was tactically very vivid and very real. Like there, it was one, if it was a dream, it was a dream. It was a Technicolor 3D, you know, experience around a dream. Yeah. Um, and the fact that from that time period, I don't remember any other dreams, but I have never forgotten that. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it yeah. was burned into my memory and then, and I wouldn't, and, 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 I have to say, oh, I didn't tell you one thing about what happened when I was two. So I told that story in my mom's kitchen years, 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 many, 20, 30 years later. I was telling someone else the story about what happened in the room when I went flying. And my mom, when I was telling the story, she was in the kitchen doing something. And when I told the part about her, that she, that, that whole kind of thought process she went through, she dropped a dish in the sink. When I said that and she stopped and she turned around and she looked at me and she said, that was real. Holy shit. She remembers it. So, so that's the, one of the points I want to bring up is that very often the things, the experiences I have are cross correlated by other people. There's other, there are other pieces of evidence that sort of mm, ratify, if you will, the, the, the experiences or verify them. Um, That was one. It, from that time, she remembers having that whole thought process and me going out the window. So um, there was that. I just brought that up because I realized I forgot to tell you. Well, you were probably so young, too, that she didn't even think that you remembered. And if you guys hadn't talked about it, she just she just assumed that she was, you know, like maybe stressed out and having a bad dream or something like that. Um, yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh 
but witnesses to these these things help a lot because people people that don't have witnesses are you know they're just like why does no one believe me fuck well you know and i i don't i, I i'm very hesitant just because of my own experiences to discount people that that come you know that tell me stories about things that have happened to them that no one else experienced but them because i know what it is to be in that mm-hmm. that situation right um so uh, going forward in time to the next event, the next big one happened in 1996. And again, I kind of had a couple of those presage uh, things coming up to it without realizing, you know, what it was going to be and uh, that it was that something was coming. And one of them, which is very interesting to me still, one day in 1996, I fell asleep on a couch and I fell asleep during the day which is usually a kind of an unpleasant, pitiful way for me to sleep, especially if the sun's out. It's very uncomfortable. Um, I fell asleep and I had this, I started having a dream and it turned into four dreams. I had four dreams in a row and I couldn't tell you one single thing about any of the dreams, like what happened in the four dreams. I knew there were four. I couldn't tell you, except for the last one. And the last one, there was this image of gray-like beings, like lots of them running over a hill. That's the one image I remember. But the significant thing is that in from the first dream to the last dream, there was this audio play in, in my head. And I realized that as the dreams went forward, I understood more and more because it was the same audio repeating. And I, I remembered more and more. And by the time I got to the end of the last dream, I actually understood the whole thing that was being, you know, that I was hearing. And when I woke up, I didn't even have to write it down. I have, it was permanently memorized. It's memorized right now, this verse. And it was a verse that basically said, when I was young, I left the path to find the truth of free. I searched until I found a pool beneath an ancient tree. I stood atop six circling stones to see what I could see. Behold, I spied a one-eyed fool winking back at me. That was playing over and over and over and over in these four dreams. And I woke up from that going, okay, that's weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like weird and unexpected. Um, And then, uh, so at the time I was, I was dating an art teacher, art instructor. and, And, she, we used to meet at the school in the morning before classes start just to kind of, you know, hang out and chat. Cause I worked at the school too, high school. And one day she came in and she looked tired and I said, uh, um, what's going on? And she said, uh, I didn't sleep very well. I go, what? She goes, well, your little blue buddies came and visited me last night. I was like, what? And I told her about the thing that happened when I was nine. She knew about that story. But she goes, yeah, your little blue buddies came. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I was dreaming along, minding my own business, and my dream just faded to black. And these two blue beings came up to me, and they said, we're really sorry to interrupt, but we need to get this message to him, and he's not listening. (laughs) Damn. And And they threw a sequence of characters and symbols at her just like and she came and was telling me this and i said well what were the symbols and she said just a second and she she pulled a page out of her notebook and she went she kind of closed her eyes for a second went 
and just wrote them, wrote the first sequence out. Now, if you look at the message with the symbols on it, it's the top two lines. That was the first thing that she wrote. And I looked at it and I was like, there's a lot of geometry there. It looks like there's runes there. Kind of what you were saying, um, Dan, about, you know, some of this, some of the symbols and things. Uh And, um, she wrote them out and I looked at it and I said, you know, I, I need more information because I like, if you, you can't crack a code unless you have a primer of some, like you have to have a primer or you can't, there's no rational foundation to build from. And she said, okay, hang on. Kind of closed her eyes again while I came up and then went and wrote out the whole bottom part. Now, my pragmatic brain says, okay, you know what? She could have been yanking my chain and she just made it up, right? That's a possibility. That, that possibility exists. You know, women. Um, <laughs> okay. But, but the longer I've had the message in my possession and the more I've looked at it, if she made that up that fast, uh, then she would have been, had have been planning it for like, you know, two weeks and writing it out and practicing because it's, there's too much information there that only I would know. Like the one of, there's a, there's an image in there. If you, um, now do you guys have a copy of the message? Have you, I know that no. Dan looked at it. Yeah. I saw it on, a copy on, of it. No, I, I do not. You can send me one. I'll, I'll gladly post it up on our uh, Instagram. Uh, yeah, the, the image that I saw it. was, uh, from Bo Kennedy on the bump podcast Instagram page. And I saw you post it up there. I tried my, uh, attempt at trying to decipher it <laughs> before well, I heard the episode. You, so. you weren't, you weren't, um, I mean, it wasn't exact, but your brain was doing the right kind of exercises. That's, that's the thing. What yeah. I found about it is that it's almost like what the message really is. And that's what I call it. The message. It's almost like what it actually is. It's almost like an encoding stimulator. It yeah. makes your brain do things, opening doors to certain you know, ways of thinking, right? Different ways of thinking. It's like a brain expander. <laughs> But I don't. Right, I need that. this. I, I need also, this code too. I want to. I, I, someone send it to me too because I, I want to see this juicy gravy code. Alien <laughs> code, okay. man. Come on, I want to see this cosmic gravy code. I will totally share it with you. Um, <laughs> Sweet. So, but anyway, there's a. There, if you look in it, one thing you'll see is that there's a depiction of a hand with the pinky flayed out and the thumb flayed out and the three fingers like this, and right above it is a left eye. If she made that up, even knowing what, even knowing what she knew, if she made that up, and that's just one part of it. There are a lot of other parts to it, right? Um, which I, I mean, literally, I would have to, I, I could do a whole episode with you guys just with the message in front of you and take you through as much as I've been able to figure out, which Sweet. is most of it. There, <laughs> there are a few things I haven't been able to, but anyway, uh, yeah, I haven't even, yeah. Um, Everything. So, so one big thing about the message is that as I once I figured out that, that the symbols, a lot of the symbols are kernels that you triangulate. It's it's one, but then you go like this, and it creates geometric shapes. 
Oh, and they're wow. all hexagonal or or tri- triangular. That's that's you know seems to be what it's about. Hexagons and triangles. What did Tesla say? Understand three, six, and nine, and you'll understand mm-hmm. the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, by the way, and, and understand, I'm telling you this just so you understand. You know, you can, it, it kind of goes to that question you asked at the beginning of why me. I didn't think there was anything unusual about this until I got to be older, but I, I kind of knew there was something about the way that I thought that was different than the people around me. I kind of, I knew that when I was a kid, I just didn't know what it was. I just knew that I was having a very different experience of the world (laughs) than a lot of the kids around. I could just tell because of how they responded to things and how they reacted. But one of the things that as I got older and I got into engineering sets and building props and special effects and all the things that I, I've done, I realized that I build things in my head. I can see them in my head completely done. I can re-engineer them in my mind. I can correct mistakes. Um, I can run scenarios. Uh, I can take a three-dimensional set design and go like this in my head and look at it from all sides, look at how mechanical things in it work, take them apart. I can explode it, take it apart, put it together. And it's interesting. I didn't really think it was significant until I realized that's what Tesla did. Tesla did the same thing. He had the same ability in his head. He did most of his engineering in his head. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, that's why when his room got raided, his hotel room, like he, uh, like his son or, or somebody said like, Oh, you know, that they, they could scavenge all they want out of the notebooks, but all of the really important shit Tesla just kept in his head. He never even wrote it down. So exactly. <laughs> awesome. So again, I think that might be part of the reason it could have just be my brain chemistry. It's that, that I have the ability to see what they were showing. Not like, not everybody might have the ability to see it and experience. I could do that because of just how my brain works. But, um, what I've come, the conclusion I've come to is that what the symbol systems are showing me, it's essentially. So that thing I called a saucer or a disc, it isn't a disc. It's not a vehicle. It's like a technology. That's the best way I can describe it. It's a technology. And it's a technology that basically creates a room that can access nonlinear space time. Mm-hmm. A Merkaba. An inter- it's an exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's a it's a room that like the mezzanine really literally represents the two tetrahedrons, the middle of the two tetrahedrons. I mean that that's wow. I'm impressed as hell. <laughs> well, you- we had a we had a guest on not too long ago that that she's writing these books. She's written these books about Merkabas, um, and she's she's a trip. Um, uh, and then we had another guest on too, who's a, a flying rainbow lasagna. She calls it. Um, is her description of <laughs> of the shape that she's been kind of because there's you know there's this seems to be a recurring message out here is to show us these shapes. Can we utilize these shapes? These shapes are the answer to celestial cosmic information. Well, because everything that I'm getting is that what 
what the message is doing is it's basically a technical data. It's like stereo instructions for how that technology that I went inside of works. That's really what it turns out seems to be because all of the geometry matches what I saw, what I, where I was. And, and, um, uh, in fact, I realized one thing I wasn't understanding because it was talking about the geometry from one point of view and the same geometry from another point of view, but it kept creating conflicts in how these things work that I couldn't, I couldn't rationalize. And then I realized, oh, it's because they're showing me a top view and a side view. It's a top view and a side view of the same thing. Um, but uh, are you familiar with Hoagland? No. Richard Hoagland? So Hoagland, yeah. Hoagland, uh, he, it, it was interesting. Okay, let me, let me back up. Um, so anyway, I got the message. And I started thinking about it, you know, contemplating it. And then, you know, life happened and I went to L.A. and things happened. It wasn't until 2006 when I was in Sedona that I was sitting one day on my porch and I was way deep in contemplation. And I started putting things together. I've always been very fascinated by Chaco Canyon. I've been to Chaco Canyon in New Mexico a number of times. It's the heart of the Anasazi world, right? That, that canyon is, that valley. And of course, there's a calendar there. And the calendar is one of the most amazing. I, it, as far as, okay, first of all, solar calendars are tricky. Lunar calendars are even more tricky. But to come up with a mm. coordinated solar lunar calendar that marks cycles and rhythms and passages of time and done as archaeoastronomy. So this was done, you know, eight, 870 AD at least. Maybe. And it has like centuries, years long, right? Like, or it has, it's over decadal or is it since centurion? Um, well, I'll just tell you how it works. And basically there are three slabs of stone. This is on Fajada Butte. There are three slabs of stone like this that are leaning against a, a rock wall. Mm. And underneath and down here, there's a spiral cut into the rock and there's a little spiral next to it over here i'm drawing that from my point of view from your point of view the rocks are like this spirals here the little spirals here <laughs> i'm just reversing it for the camera um and it's very interesting that this calendar was rediscovered in june of 1977 and the relevance of that i will share with you in a minute mm. um so this woman was going to do a photographic survey of, of uh, she was from New York. She was like an art student doing photography of petroglyphs and things in Chicago. A hike, they decided to climb up on Fajada Butte and they found this, this structure. Wow. And they were there. They, they got there at about 1130 in the morning. And they were looking around and then they looked under the, she looked under the stone and she saw the spiral just as it was approaching the noonday sun. And oh, as shit. it approached the noonday sun, a dagger of light came down and cut right through the middle of the big spiral. Now, it was June 21st. Oh. So this was a, this was the summer. So she arrived totally <laughs> randomly 30 minutes before. The summer solstice dagger descended like this and went went back up. Now, if you know anything about how to make light do things, the fact that they arranged three stones that would 
make it so that a dagger light. These are big stones light. too. These are not small stones. These are fucking huge. Right. They're very big. Um, and the, you can't go there anymore because the site's fragile. So they won't let people hike up there anymore. And it's, and it's, check this out. It has a massive native rattlesnake population that lives on the view. So it's literally protected. Huh. <laughs> by, it's, it's protected by, by rattlesnake. Wow. But, um, anyway, so she looked at that and she took pictures of it and they took pictures of it descending and then going back. And she knew it was the summer solstice. So she kind of went, well, I wonder if it marks anything else. Now, the one thing they noted is that that spiral had 19 turns on it. It went around, you know, 19 times. And so they did some tests, you know, experimentation and realized uh, they came, well, yeah, they did some tests and realized that the light, uh, that it was probably marking more than just the summer solstice. They went back in another time when it came back at the winter solstice and realized that the spike came down but there was uh, a little side spike that went through the little spike, right? And then they came back uh, on the vernal equinox and two daggers framed the spiral, the big spiral, and a little dagger went through the little spiral. <laughs> like already the level of complexity here, the fact that, and this is by the noonday sun, that's the other thing. It's not the horizon, it's not lining up rocks, this is daggers of light being produced by the noonday sun. Okay. Then they realized, so they realized the autumn equinox was just two daggers like this. The spring equinox was two daggers with a little dagger. The um, summer solstice was a dagger. And then the summer, the winter solstice was a dagger with a little dagger through the side spiral. Um, and they counted the 19, the 19 rings and they really were puzzled by that. And then they went and did another experiment where they said, well, what would the moon do? And they tested the moon and the moon created daggers of light that followed the 19 year cycle of the moon, right? Accurately. Now think about that. That was built some, you know, at least no later than 870, 800, you know, 870 uh, AD. And it's been accurate ever since. It's been literally marking time that way ever since. Um, they have now gone and done further archaeology at Chaco Canyon studies, you know, like uh, alignment studies. They used to think that it was a it was a city. It was like a populated city. They now realize it was not. It was entirely a ceremonial center. The whole mm. thing was ceremony. Mm hmm including uh, Pueblo Bonito, which is like three stories tall and has, you know, 52 kivas in the top of it, um, that the whole inner structure was just hollow and it was all just substructure to hold it up. It was all, it's all gridding to hold the surface and the kivas on the top. They, they think um, the thing, same thing of uh, Goblucky Tepe too, as this, it was like a teaching center to teach everybody else uh, about, you know, these cosmic things going on. Absolutely. The, um, the, the thing they did realize is that the buildings were aligned to the vernal equinox. They did tests and realized how often when the vernal equinox sun rose, it rose literally on the horizon, but teed like this on the back walls of buildings all over Chaco Canyon. 
and mm. that the, 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 the structures themselves are in big lines, mm. right, with each other. Um, they also realized that the moon cycle over the, uh, you know, the moon rises. So what happens, it, what, it, what it really comes down to is that the orbit of our, the orbit of our moon has a wobble. So, and it moves about 10 degrees. Yeah. Well, it, no, it's, it, it's like a picture as a disc, but it's a disc that's going like this. Uh -huh. So the moon is going around like this. So every 18.65 years, it goes here to here. <laughs> here. Well, that wobble is what creates that 19 year cycle that they were recording. Well, I was, there's a little spiral in the message. And I remember looking at the spiral and I've always, from the first time I heard of the Sundagger calendar, my brain just went, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had to go there. I've, I've been there. I've camped there. I've had weird experiences in Chaco Camp. Whoa. Let's get I, into that. Huh? Well, we'll get that another time. But, uh, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, very weird experiences. So anyway, um, I was looking at the message and in the deep state of contemplation in 2006. And I, I thought about this idea that if you have a, a the, the disk, you know, the orbital, the orbit of the moon is going like this. Well, there has to be a point when it stops mm -hmm. and starts going back. That's called a lunar standstill. And it's a real thing. Like. 2000. Can I say one thing really quick? Uh, just is just like another synchronicity of uh, the podcast round that just happens. But last night when we were doing, um, we were doing like this, like big Wizard of Oz, de occult demystification, like all of the um, the alchemical processes that Frank uh, L. Frank Baum put up in the Wizard of Oz universe. And uh, my buddy Gabriel, he did this whole, like, he had this whole like card breakdown and and the lunar standstill in the year 1865 and this weird encoding thing because for some reason cosmology and the understanding of it even though we don't see it in modern society with our government and how how they plan things they plan things around these types of events still and um it's just fresh on my mind and it's just funny that i was basically taught about the lunar standstill last night. And then here you are also telling me again about the lunar standstill. I'm like, all right, heard universe <laughs> lunar standstill paying the fuck attention. And, and the guest that we had this morning, his last name was Osman. And he says he goes by the name Oz. And uh, Roman was just talking about wizard of Oz last night. So Roman synchros are just piling up. And the night before I was at my friend's comedy <laughs> show and I, I went to the comedy show. I thought it was going to be on Saturday. It was on Friday night. Go to the winery, watch the friends do the thing. And the main comedian hid Wizard of Oz jokes within his jokes. So after the set, I went to him and I was like, dude, were you throwing off some Wizard of Oz shit? I know you didn't say it, but I like, you know, like you said some things that, that would make one think of Wizard of Oz. He's like, yeah, man, I've been throwing those in. No one's ever caught it before. And I was just like, I, so it's like the, the, the coding, man, the, everything is ciphered. Why? Why is life well, such gonna... a code? <laughs> well, well, that's an interesting question. That's one of those arguments. That's one of those fundamental arguments that questions whether we're in a simulation or not. Because mm. if everything's code and everything's coded, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
Yes, it, heavy. Just, okay, you, heavy. No, I can't help it. I, you brought up the Oz thing, so I've just got to. I've got to. So another area of interest of mine is runes. I've studied runes for forty years. I'm <sighs> way. I've gone way down the rabbit hole of runes, way beyond academia, way beyond archaeology, uh, into fundamental because i was never happy with what i found i said this does not answer my question so i kept digging and digging and digging which by the way gets you in trouble digging and digging <laughs> and digging always gets you in trouble yes anyway until you find hollow earth. So one of the so one of the yeah it's a right through the hollow earth i like that um <laughs> uh right through the hollow earth to the flat earth and then we're we're gone um so there is a room called ansus this is relevant to your oz Oz thing. There's it's called Ansus. That rune, um, that's a reconstructed Proto-Germanic name that is a guess. It's a guess that that's what that rune name is. And the meaning of it is kind of the only reason we know meanings of the runes at all is because of the rune poems. And there's, there's three, there are three different rune poems, the Icelandic, the Norwegian, and the, um, and the Anglo-Saxon. Those are, and that's, that's how we know anything about what they mean is those poems, other than conjectural guesses from like texts like Beowulf that were written in Old English, written in Anglo-Saxon, and a lot of it was written in Roots. But anyway, the Anglo-Saxon name for that same rune is Os, O-S. You know what Os means? No. Oscillation or something? Or? No, Os, Os means sky. Oh, oh shit. Now check this out. It gets better. So between the, the, the one problem with any phonetics we have toward that we get from oral traditions, we get from oral traditions, right? Is that somebody wrote those down at some point, but they were oral traditions and every tribe is going to have its own dialect, which means that I could say, for, for example, I could say Odin to you. But I could also say Wotan if I was in Germany. I could also say Wotan if I was in, if, in, you know, in Anglo-Saxon, this Anglo-Saxon period. Mm-hmm. They're all describing the same thing. It's just different dialectic pronunciations of the same word. Wotan, 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 Wotan. It's all the same word. It's, in fact, it's the same character, which is very interesting, being talked about in all of these mm-hmm. geographic mm-hmm you know, tribal things. But Vulcan. when you think about that, like, for example, if you look at most of the rune names, I don't mean, I'm not going to go too long on this, but most of the rune names end with Oz. So it'll say Urasaz, uh, Urasaz, um, uh, Kanaz, uh, you know, it has this Oz at the end. And what I believe is that that's a suffix that they added to words that meant sky so it's it's differentiating. So, for example, it's Ehwaz. Ehwaz means horse, right? It's a rune name that means horse. The actual rune name is Eh, E-H, Eh. But as soon as you say Ehwaz, you're saying the eternal horse. You're, say, you're saying the horse as a metaphor, the horse as a larger concept, right? Well, here's the thing that's interesting. How do you say East in German? You know what East is in German? Ost. Right? Ost. Is East. Ostara is the goddess of spring and of the Mm, East. 
Yes, 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 yes. Wow. So what's interesting is you say us, you're actually talking about the infinite sky of dawn. It's all talking about dawn and beginning and 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 creation, right? Creation. Osir. And what does Osir mean? It just means sky gods. Yeah. Osir, right? They come from those the Aesir. Yeah. Right. And uh, in fact, it made me have a whole epiphany about what the actual structure of the nine worlds are, actually are. That we think of, if we think of Yggdrasil and the structure of Norse mythology, what we see is we have this idea of a tree trunk with, you know, Midgard as like kind of almost like a disc around its middle, that it's uh-huh. the axis Monday, right? And that you have, you know, Asgard is in the tree. That's Christian iconology being laid over the top of Norse mythology. It has the two things have nothing to do with each other. They were trying to rationalize this structure. And when I realized, you know what the helm of awe is? I've heard it's of it. Eight, but... It's an eight-spoked wheel that goes like this that has little yes. little like um, fingers on the edges. You see people make ta- they get tattoos yes. of it a lot, right? Well, it's called the helm of awe. And the idea was that if you put the helm of awe, if you had the helm of awe on your forehead, you were impervious in battle, right? You couldn't be killed. Well, I think what the Helm of Awe is, it's a depiction of the nine worlds and that Midgard is the circle at the center and that Asgard, the only other one, is the east. Asgard isn't up. Asgard is dawn. The gods live eternally at dawn. That's where Asgard is. Wow. Dawn. Uh, that sounds so kind of like your wizard, paradise. Paradise time is well, going, eternal dawn. Yeah. Angels watching the sunrise. Go, Good morning, Don. Interesting point. Interesting point. I like that. Bringing that around. But I'm, I'm saying going to the Oz, our, our Wizard of Oz fixation, what happens? She gets taken up into the sky and ends up in another land. Yeah. And it's a land full of magic and and good and bad. You notice mm-hmm. something? It's not all just peachy keen. Yeah. It's another world. Yep. Well, yeah. So what I... So going back to the to the uh, that was just my little that sorry that was my little book note side note to your uh, Wizard of Oz reference. <laughs> Thank you, I love that. That's a great uh, it's a great additive to that. It's it just goes to show that there's the reason why I think it's stuck in the collective consciousness for so long and why it's such an important story. It was um, L. Frank Baum's magnum magnum opus. You know, he had one shot to really fucking go for gold and boy oh boy did he take all of that writing research and knowledge that he did um and traveling around and being in these magnetic kind of like anomalistic spaces and then also studying under madame plavatsky and you know uh really understanding deep deep esoterica he fucking put it in in a modern form and then heavily spiritual and he was heavily spiritual into woman rights activists and all this stuff and anyways, yeah, so it's so deep. So thank you so much for that. That's a great uh, thing because we're going to do another breakdown of it soon. So I'm <laughs> gathering all the gravy I can get and I'm putting it in the pot. Well, if you if you ever want to really go down, specifically stay focused and go on down the road with me about the Merkaba and the connection to Norse mythology and uh, and other mythologies, I will sh- I can I have come to the conclusion that there is a story that has been preserved, but it's hidden knowledge because if people really understood it, they'd freak out. Yep. Yes. Um, and it has to do with the fact that uh, 
with the Merkaba. And remember, the Merkaba, none of that geometry is a real thing. Those geometries are ways to describe a measurement relationship. That's, uh-huh. that's all it's about. Because really what, the, what that structure, the two tetrahedrons, one pointing up, the other pointing down, gives you, ready, eight points on the outside and a ninth in the middle. Yeah. So that's the helm of awe. Eight points on the outside with a with a with Midgard with mm. the world in the middle. Yeah. That's the that's the Ogdawad. That's the Egyptian creation myth. That's eight deities on the outside crossing their shit and it's toroidal and the, too. And the exactly they say, and the world uh, comes out of it. They say the runes come from that wheel, uh, uh the yeah, the runes come from that wheel. That's where language originated. If you if you trace those things down, you can make all the different letters of the alphabet. Oh shit, that's, that's crazy cool. Well, and and you know, Odin rode a horse, right? Sleipnir. And the horse that the, Sleipnir. How many legs did Sleipnir have? Eight. Ha! Huh. And what and what made it happen? If you were Odin and you sat on the back of the horse, number nine, you could ride. You could ride through all nine worlds. Why? Because it's not a fucking horse. It's the eight spokes of the wheel. And if you're in Midgard and you have the right consciousness, you can go everywhere. It was a fucking UFO. I mean, it was a spaceship. It was a vessel. It was a Merkaba, the rainbow bridge. Exactly. Exactly. And I suspect that the runes are not at all what we think they are. I don't, you know, that whole spiky look of the runes that everybody likes, you know, the Viking yeah. kind of spiky. But I don't think that yeah. that's what they, I don't think that that's what they really looked like. I think that because that spikiness comes from cutting them into wood, you have to do that to, to deal with the wood grain. I've done it. I have examples of it. You have to, you have to cut across the grain for the verticals and you can't do curves. You have to do this to make sure you can see it. You can't do flat lines. Everything has to be angled to go and cut across the grain. Right. Uh, can you still hear me? Yeah. 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 We're here. Okay. So uh, one of my earbuds just died. That's why I was asking. Um, so, but anyway, um, and it's all related though. What I, and here's what I think. I think that this is not about a circle. I think that literally what they were trying to describe is the four points of one tetrahedron and the four points of the other tetrahedron. It's a sphere. It's not a fucking circle. It's a sphere. And that the nine, the sacred nine of the Norse mythology, the nine of the Agdawat is mm. the center. That's the juncture. That's the, that's the intercept, the grand intersect, the middle pillar. Asgartha is the inner earth. Asgard, exactly. Asgartha, yep, the oh, middle. And what's interesting about about the nine worlds the and those two, Midgard and Asgard, right? They're the only tunes that are the only two that are guards. Everyone else is is Heims, Alfheim, yeah. Svartalfheim, Helheim, Jotunheim. Jackim and Boaz. Heim is homes and guard is gardens. Or, 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 Earth. I mean, it, it basically says it's, it's material. So it's basically saying that there is, there are two worlds yeah. here. And that's what the Merkaba is really saying. There are two spheres, a hypersphere. Oh. Two realms exist here at the same time. Garden and that's going Eden. back, going back to Oz too. Um, he specifies these, the quadrant section, the northeast, southwest. So what I'm, what I'm kind of visualizing is like, you know, you got the, the, the Himes and the guards 
And one of them is a spiritual realm poles. and the rest of them are, uh, yeah, exactly. The two poles. Yeah, man. Yeah. Dude, that's, it's super trip. And, and the, how, how do we basically gain access to this? Or let's loop back around into that. Let's, let's get, let's get some solutions well, that's here. Just it. That's, that's what I think this device that I was in when I was nine is. I think it is a way to artificially create that juncture, that intersection. So that you can experience multiple realms and you can travel from a from realm to realm. Ah, the thing that's yes. interesting is imagine if every sphere in the universe, whether it's a sun, a planet, a star, doesn't matter. What if every one of them is a hypersphere? What that means is there are two realities coexisting, at least coexisting at one time in every spherical body. Okay. If okay, just following that premise, that means. That if we went, if we could go to the other, you notice something, it's all through all of our folklore, all of our mythology. There's the other world. They talk about the other world, the underworld, the other world. You mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. in Celtic mythology, it's uh, Tir Nanug, right? The, the, the land beneath the sea, right? Mm-hmm. So so the thing, the thing that's interesting is that we know that there's another world right here. And it's not like it's somewhere else. It's right here. Yeah. It's just that our energetic vibration keeps us here. But there is a junction between the two, right? Yes. In fact, it's interesting. Note something. When the Anunnaki, where did you have to go to meet the Anunnaki? Temples. I have no idea. In the ground. In the ground. They were in caverns. They were in caverns in the ground. Hmm. Um, so you had to go underground to go to mm-hmm. the realm of the Anunnaki. Mm-hmm. Where did, you know, where was Hades, where, you know, Hades ruled the, the underworld, underworld, right? Yeah. Yes. Persephone had to go from this world to that world. And she did it by going in, not out in. And that's, that's interesting too, because Anunnaki, their story is that they came to earth to mine for gold or other useful minerals that they could blast back into their, you know, their planet's atmosphere and what have you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, inside the earth is where the minerals come from. And if you found, you know, caverns or that have endless amounts of, you know, minerals, like just like, you know, we were talking about earlier, uh, this morning about this copper mine, copper. Th- this copper that was up in, you know, the, the Great Lakes. 8,000 years they've been able to access this copper and just keep taking, keep taking. Okay. Well, that's because there's a special like tectonic fissure that lets it, that copper come through. That means the inside of our earth is loaded with all of these things. Why the fuck would they need to be on the surface? They don't. They have all of the, like the conductive materials, the prima materia there for their major alchemical works. Let me, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt, but I need to fix my ears. Yes. Just give me half uh, a second. I'll be very fast. No worries. Okay. Yeah. That kind of goes uh, into uh, the, oh man, I lost it, but. Uh, the inside earth minerals. Yeah. 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 I dude, I mean, I don't know. I, I, you know, we're definitely in on the, uh, on the hollow earth situation. I like how this conversation actually can weave its way into the ancient America month, yeah. you know, like, Very so well, that's yeah. fucking awesome. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I want to go to uh, Chaco Canyon. I'd actually seen that documentary um, randomly. It was like one of those documentaries where I was stoned out of my ass with a friend and we were like searching YouTube on YouTube on YouTube and we find this Chaco Canyon documentary. And I like, I was so mind blown the whole time because, you know, it's these huge three uh, stone slabs and the spiral circle that, that Craven was talking about. And it's so meticulous. Like it just takes 20 years to make that. It takes 20 years that 18, six, 18, uh, points, 18, 18 and 19 years, right? It takes 19 years for the lunar standstill to happen. That's fucking crazy. And these three huge slabs are perfectly adjacent on a route. It's like everything is so premeditatively thought out. It's fucking melting my fucking noodle on the ground, dude. I like, I'm trying to understand me? it. Can you hear yeah. me? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, good. You're All back. Right. Let's switch over. Um, I missed everything you were saying. <laughs> Uh, does, doesn't matter. I was just saying I, uh, I <laughs> fucking had actually seen the Chaco Canyon documentary. And so when you brought it up, I completely forgot about it. And then when you're describing it, I'm like, yes, yes. And it's everything they, it just blows my mind. It's so every, all of this architecture and foundation of our ancestors were cosmically aligned. And, you know, just trying to even wrap our heads around that is, one part of the fucking simulated puzzle when we can't even get our heads around what we need to be putting in our body and what uh, water to drink and you know all this shit man just thought about the duot is like the second atlantis the duot the second well the duot is the other world. whoa I mean, or the, the other yeah land, the other land you know same thing yeah. um now here's an interesting point you're a little muffled i'm a little muffled yes unfortunately well, my okay, but let me try something. Just a second. Hang on. I'm gonna change. No, no worries. Okay. No worries. We're we're chilling. Uh, well, oh, that's my hand. There's my okay. Uh, <laughs> let me go like this and see if I can. It just if I if I just use my phone mic, it's gonna it might be tinny. Well, it's okay. I mean, like we're we're yeah. like wrapping on the two hours, anyways. Let's maybe just do some like I have a couple final kind of questions that you know it'll take like fifteen twenty minutes and you know all the things. Well, I, 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 let me do one last little thing and then yeah. and then do that because I, I was almost to the tie together. Okay, right. Let's do it. Yeah. So the tie together is this. Um, in two thousand in two thousand six, I suddenly realized. Based on when I when I realized that was that 2006 was a lunar standstill year, I started calculating back, and here was the kicker. There are three different phases in the in the lunar process. There's a standstill, there's a major standstill, and a minor standstill. Okay, and the major standstill I think is when the when the when it's as far as farthest north, and the minor standstill is when it's farthest south. If that makes like the, the in the rock, right? In the tilt. <clears throat> well, when I started, when I remembered the 18.65 year calculation, I started going, oh, wait a minute. If this is, a, if I'm in a lunar standstill year, I'm going to calculate back 18.65 years and see where that lands me. <laughs> 18.65 years before 1996 was 
1977, 19. Oh, holy shit. And we're in a lunar standstill right now, too. Yes. Well, we're where we are. So, so I went and charted the entire thing back to 1900. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. And then forward to um, January, February of 2053. So I, I, I went both ways. What was what turned out to be really interesting is that I realized that on the minor standstill, these major that's when they communicated with me every time. It, it's every time is a minor, except for the first one, which was during a major standstill cycle. And I because I was born during a major standstill. I was born just before a major standstill. And um the significance of that is when I started actually doing evaluations, historical evaluations, I can take you through this chart and show you the rise and fall of the Third Reich, the assassination of Kennedy, follows this rhythm wow. exactly. Exactly. Wow. Do you think that's um, another uh, piece of the cosmic code that they kind of gave you? Oh, yeah. A big part of it was that they want... Here's the thing, though. I don't think they operate in linear time. I think that it's not about time. It's about sequence. It's oh. about this happens. Th this is happening on a rhythm. It's not about linear time. Calculating linear time just shows you the repetition of the cycle. It's cyclical. Right? It yeah. You, uh, it's the Mayan calendar. The Mayan calendar. What is it? It's a big circle with thir it's three circles, right? Three circles inside a circle. That's how it basically is. This one rolls around inside of this one. This one, you know, the long count, it rolls around the inside of the big one. And that's how, you know, they, we, they can track trends in time, which is what, really what the Mayans were doing. They were just tracking trends in time. They said, things are going to go forward, but we're going to go into an era where this kind of shit's going to happen. And then it's like, why? Because that shit happened before. And we know it's going to happen. And they go, ah, oh, yes, oh, we're coming up. And so 2012 was really not the end of time or the end of the Mayan calendar because you can't end the circle. <laughs> yes. Right? So it really wasn't about the end of time. It was about a change from the previous revolution mm -hmm. to the next revolution. And we're, come on, go, go back in your mind to 2012. Oh, we're fucking in world, it. Look at the world right now. Yeah, we are, we are fucking, fucking in it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And, I'm trying to get back to even, Oz, man. Uh, I forget where else, but somewhere else, it's 2012 right now, right? Or it was 2012, like a year or two ago. So it's interesting that the two things kind of correlate into this new awakening period that we're supposedly going through, or whatever. There's this new age is upon us in a way, you know. Yeah, that's that's an important part to yeah, to think about too. Thank you for that because that we are running on the Gregorian calendar system, and you know that's the system that has been given to us of you know the current system. But we know before that we were on a different system, and we kind of like have been a, in a construed timeline ever since Gregorian calendar has been brought to us. And, uh, it's just, yeah, like, I don't know. It's so, so heavy. Oh, we, I, I love this. I love this conversation. It's, it's been, um, it's been all the things that we love here on our, yeah. you know what? I feel like it's, it's part a, I would love to come back and, and cause there's m way more. 
when yeah. I would love to come back and, and talk more and I'll send you some, uh, I'll send you over the, uh, the message so you can look at that. I'd love to, I'd love to hear uh, your feedback on it, Roman. I've sort of heard a little bit of uh, Dan. Yeah. I, haven't heard. I would, I would love to have you back on the show. I love how this conversation has flowed. It's been really great talking to you and I've had a lot of fun. I've learned a lot of new inf- interesting information also, which is always a plus. I love learning new things. That's why we do these shows. And then when I can learn something new, it's even fucking awesome. <laughs> awesome. More awesome. And I'll throw it out yeah. for anybody listening to you. Um, if they want to know, you know, they can look, if people want to look at my artwork, I've got a website to have my paintings and things on it. And yeah. some of it is related to, to all this. Um, it's just my name, ravenwolfson.com. Um, Raven and, and, spelled H R A E F N and Wolfson spelled W U L F S O N. Right on. Yes. Um, but if they, you know, if you, if you just Google search me, you'll find it all, uh, IMDB and, uh, you know, movies I worked on, everything, all the stuff. Um, all the stuff that's public. There's more that's coming, but between being an artist and working in film and trying to figure out how to express all of this, uh, it takes time. <laughs> okay. Well, let me, let me ask you this then, uh, as a final question. Um, I had two of them, but I think I'm going to save the next one for the next one. Um, and this one, since you just brought up Hollywood, what is your opinion on the influence of these characters that you've experienced with and our government, um, or, you know, Hollywood, right. And that whole kind of, you know, people that run the world, basically, what do you think, do you think they've been contacted? Do you think they're aware of these Merkabahs, these shapes, these cosmic codes? And if so, how have they influenced and how is it relevant in modern society in your opinion? Oof, that's a question. Um, I, <laughs> well, okay, we'll do that in 10 minutes. I'm kidding. Um, so that's a big giant question. Um, <laughs> my apologies. No, no, Kidding. no. It's a good question. There's just a lot there. Um, well, having worked in LA, and this is not, I'm not making a negative statement. I'm making, I'm stating a fact. The truth is Hollywood is very heavily influenced by Jewish culture. Like it saturates Hollywood. And they think they control the Merkaba. Ah. That's what the symbol is. Wow. Right? You mean, you mean yes. like, uh, yes, they can, like, the, yes, you're right. Hebrew letters, like, you know, we're talking like true Kabbalism, Kabbalism. Like, is that, is that what you mean by Jewish? Yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, if you look at even, yeah, yeah. But if even if you look at just the symbol of Israel, they think that they are the chosen people that control the yeah. gate. They think they control the gate and, and nobody controls the gate. In fact, the big clue that they don't actually control the gate is that there's nothing in the center of that star. And here's what's interesting. It's a, it's a hexagram, right? It's a six pointed star, right? It's two triangles. So it's six points that if you drew lines around the outside, it'd be a hexagon, right? Well, it's interesting. If you go into the Middle East, what's the great ancient sacred number? Seven, 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 mm-hmm. over and over again. Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. seven mountains, seven rivers, seven, 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 seven. Why? Six points and the center. It's a two-dimensional representation of the Merkaba. Wow. It's looking down on it, right? Yep. Yeah. And it's interesting because they didn't come up with that symbol. That symbol, Hindu, it goes way, way back. It's like the two, it's very weird how things have turned out. You know what the two two of the oldest symbols in the world are? 
No. The swastika and the Merkaba. Wow. They are the two oldest symbols. The oldest swastika in the world was found carved in mammoth ivory in the Ukraine, and it was over 20,000 years old. <laughs> the swastika is older than the cross. And you think the cross, a very simple, you know, symbol. Yeah. Swastika it, older. I, I think the I think personally the cross is stemmed from the swastika. It's a simplified version, agree. right? And Word. I would I would put forward an argument, just my own studies. Um, every symbol that we think of as being an ancient symbol, really they're two-dimensional representations of three-dimensional ideas. I don't think the cross is a cross. I think the cross, if you thought what it was representing, it would be like a gyroscope. Word. An axis with a disc. That's yeah. what the cross and a toroid field, maybe. Well, and what, what what would that mean? That means that the center where the axis meets the equator is the center of the Earth. The it's axis mundi. It's the same thing again, yeah, over and over and over again. Like the ship that but, you're in. <laughs> what? It's like the ship that you're in. Like the ship I was in. What, what was that flat plane that you're standing on called again? I, I just call it the mezzanine. Yeah, the mezzanine. So it's like the Earth is the mezzanine, and uh, the two well, the hemispheres equator, are what's above us. Oh, okay, like the equator. The equator is the mezzanine. Okay. In that structure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and I'll tell you this. How to, to finish answering uh, Roman's question, um, I think that it's in very involved. In fact, I think that there's been a long-term secret war going on between those who are trying to control the truth and the truth is we live in a yellow in submarine an intersection of creation. <laughs> we live in an intersection of creation that was created mm. do you think it, the earth is a merkaba absolutely 100 percent. do you think that's think, what the uh, merkaba of control is is they're controlling the earth is that the they're controlling the earth but they're also controlling oh that's what i was trying to say before if you think of it as a hypersphere, right? Each tetrahedron yeah. represents a sphere, and there's two tetrahedrons, so there's two spheres coexisting. One of those spheres has this guy. The other sphere is in another vibrational realm, which means if you could travel from one to the other, you'd be traveling between universes. Ah. Oh. Oh, if, if you could take space exploration technology and transit it through from this world to the other, to our other world that's here, you can go travel a universe that's adjacent to, but completely separate from us. And if you think that every sphere is that, every cosmic sphere is that from, you know, galaxies to black holes, you name it, they're all the same tension of opposites that creates this, <laughs> this realm. That means it's not just infinite space. It's infinite universes because every one you went to, if you could transit to the other one, you'd be in another universe. You transit, go find another, and you'd be in uh -huh. another universe, and it's just geometric. And How do you get back, <laughs> or do you, or do you even want to? You well, know, you it's like you show, if you go through far over. You ever watch the show Sliders? <laughs> no. Remember the, the show Sliders? Mm, no. no. When's it from? Basically, the idea is that it was one Earth, but this physicist had sort of fractured the boundaries and every time he popped into a earth it was a slightly different earth and he was always trying to find his way back to the original earth that he started from and oh wow was a oh shit yeah. <laughs> interesting it was a, kind of a goofy series but it was an interesting idea um 
So anyway, um, I yeah. don't know if I answered the question, but as far as yeah. world dominance. Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think you got it pretty good. So, yeah. Well, I, this it's has been right. an absolute pleasure, guys. I mean it. I, I, I feel, I feel, this is going to sound weird, but I feel like kindred spirits. Like, yeah. We, we could go have coffee and we'd have a great conversation. No, <laughs> I feel you, all. dude. I feel you. Yeah. I think, uh, we, we resonate on a lot of the same vibrations around here and, uh, it's great. It's, it was a great flowy conversation and, and it worked out really well, man. So we appreciate it. We look forward to having you back again. This was amazing. And, uh, yeah. Uh, well, and, you one. know, I'm saying, just <laughs> reach out to me, reach out to me and, and let me know when you want to do it again. Excellent. I can uh, probably make it work. <laughs> I shall. Nice. Yeah, we shall. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Uh, thank you, uh, Fire Tribe, for listening. And if you're not down with that, wait up. That, that didn't come out right, Roman. You don't like that one with Do the again. distortion? No. Right. Do it with the echo. <laughs> Is he going to do it? Wake up. Wake up. There you go. There we go. That sounds like my echo voice. I say, wake up. <laughs> wake up. You are listening to the Raven Wolfson outro. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. I love that. I love that you got that soundboard now. Fuck makes yeah, everything baby. so much cooler. We're cool now. We can <laughs> be like cool now. now. We can be like Juan. <laughs> uh, Illuminati confirmed. It's <laughs> excellent, dude. That was such a fascinating question with uh, Raven or interview with Raven. Uh, my mind is kind of blown right now. There's so many things going through my head about you know all kinds of different things. Uh, it's fascinating how he is able to pull his like abduction experiences into like real world mythology and be able to explain some different things going on. Uh, I find his information with the runes and Norse mythology pretty fascinating. Uh, I definitely want to talk to him again. We, we talked and after the show was over and we're definitely going to have him on again. Uh, Roman even suggested a three-part trilogy and doing another couple shows with him. Uh, I felt like we all really clicked pretty well. Uh, he, uh, he was a fascinating person to talk to and, uh, good chemistry, I guess is the best way to put it in a non-sexual way, but <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it didn't have to ever be sexual, but uh, <laughs> you just said that. So. Usually chemistry, when you say I have good chemistry with that person, it's like more, I don't know. It can be used in both contexts, I guess. <laughs> Energetic chemistry is fully a thing. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, man, what did you think, Roman? Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, I mean, obviously, in the beginning, you guys heard me kind of like get mind blown a couple times about <laughs> the the blue lights. Um, and I've talked about those experiences here on the show before. It wasn't like this was the first time I brought them up, but when I was a kid, I've, I've had paranormal experiences and I fucking like 
rarely get to talk to people about it that I can kind of be like, Oh, colors, shapes, you know what I mean? And so that was cool. Um, and I really like, uh, enjoyed, yeah, the flow between like this, this, um, you know, the color spectrum, the resonant spectrum, the electricity spectrum, you know, everything is vibration and flow and everything is frequency. We know that everybody knows that we talk about it all the time, but we don't engage in it in our lives because society is not formed to those understandings. And if anything, it's done everything to make society be far away from those understandings. And it fucking frustrates me. It, it fucking frustrates me because I'm a fucking freaky weirdo that doesn't know where he fits in a society because he knows the way he wants to live and the way he wants to fucking reject from society. And it's just like, but I also want to do a podcast. So I have to with like, at least have, you know, some sort of like Wi-Fi on a computer, but I also just want to like be naked in the woods and run around <laughs> to the tops of trees and jump in my Merkaba and fucking transform into a little tiny oyster pearl in the bottom of the uh, Ohio River. And go fly with alien beings. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, man. Uh, when I heard his interview on the bump, I was just like, dude, I got to get this guy on our show. Because he's uh, so fascinating. A lot of the stuff that he talked about with the moon and the moon cycles is uh, fucking great. So maybe we'll have him on again to talk about how uh, these different historical events coincide with these moon cycles. And then again, to talk about runes. I think uh, those would all be fascinating topics to get into with him. Um, Yes. So we'll, we'll, we'll be able to speckle him in into different uh, months for sure, hopefully. And uh, we we'll, might just put him out as bonuses for the month or whatever, just so we can get it out there. Because uh, it's all fascinating stuff, man. Yeah, maybe the next one will be uh, near the summer solstice, June 21st. Who fucking knows? Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting? You know, it's crazy, uh, or I don't know if it's crazy, but so anyways, I'm going to Florida next week for my cousin's wedding, right? Yeah. And, um, was talking to Kaylee yesterday. Cause I was like, Hey, we're doing this wizard of Oz thing. I need you to run like birth reports on the movie <laughs> drops, right? Like, I'm like, you're my in-house astrologer, right? I need these reports that. And, uh, anyway, she pulled up some great shit, but I was talking to her and, uh, telling her I was going to Florida and, she was just, she was talking about new moons and eclipses or something. And I was like, Oh, well, when's the next eclipse? She's like, Saturday to the 30th. And I was like, Oh no shit. It's the night my cousin's getting married. She's like, Uh Oh, I was like, Uh Oh, what the fuck does that mean? She's like new moon eclipse. Like it's apparently it's a, it's a pretty good eclipse happening on the 30th, Saturday, the 30th. <laughs> Look out for that. Um, but that's the thing, man. That's what I'm saying is, you know, there's, there's all this woo associate. And I don't say woo. I mean like new age contemporary, um, narrative that has basically kind of given the, uh, the astrology, the zodiac, you know, things in modern society. It kind of gives it a stank, right? Like, like it, like as if it holds no credibility. Well, the system we're in now is new. It's, you know, the, the system that the Zodiac runs on is fucking so old and so firm. 
And the patience and the understanding, like talking about Chaco Canyon, okay? Three huge fucking pillar stones with a spiral carved into the ground over a 19-year fucking period, okay? That's patience that half of us wouldn't even be able to fucking do, right? Or give a shit about, especially in modern society. And so, you know, this talking about the significance of this new moon eclipse, right? Like if we were living in, in, uh, you know, um, as our ancestors, you know, living back in the day, um, for lack of a better term, back in the day, uh, you know, what would we be doing on this lunar eclipse, new moon lunar eclipse on a Saturday night? You know, bet we'd be out there in the fire pit doing a seance, doing a dance, drinking some plant tea tripping out talking to our spirit guides and jumping into the motherfucking merkabah baby like what are we doing with our fucking lives dan who the fuck are we and why are we not connected to the cosmos anymore man <laughs> yes very good question <laughs> why well we know why because somebody else controls the merkabah god the jews <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can't say that word. Sorry. Can't no, say that I, word. I take it back. Recant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, um, uh, what do you got? What do you got going on today after this, man? It's only uh, it's only two o'clock. Well, uh, you, you know, think you're gonna uh, enjoy your day off of work? Yeah, probably. Because I got a job for you. What's that? I need you to drive to um, Oakland. The land of many oaks. I need you to pick up the ashes of a ash tree. The ash, the, the, the Hermes tree, the ashes of that. Bring it down to the pyramid of the moon in Mexico. Scatter the ashes around the base. Grab some ocean water and some tears. Oh, Semen. And duck semen, semen from a duck. Uh, no, 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 not, not doing this today. You I ain't got, could... I ain't got time for that. I'm trying to build you a Merkaba. I ain't got time. <laughs> I ain't got time to go get duck semen. I could show you a really fast, efficient uh, way to do that. Anyways, thanks, <laughs> Fire Child, for joining us. I uh, hope you like this episode. Remember to go check out the Patreon and the Telegram and, uh, you know, do all the things. Yep. Uh, support your boys. Such boys. Thank you, Fire Child, for listening. Peace out. Bye. Good night. <laughs> Any
everything exists within our atmosphere, then the memory remains. The memories remain. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Therefore, the past is there to be discovered. To discover who we truly are. Because we're just looking for answers. To see if this is all just a simulation. And I'm not sure anymore. Life does just seem to be a blur anymore. Will we rise from the ashes? Yeah.